Well, it's, uh, it's game day, isn't it? Um, all across the land, everybody's geared up for the big game of the year and um, the Super Bowl. Some of us are more charged up about it than others. I was thinking about the big Coliseum where this will all take place, and I was thinking about this, forgive me for my strange way of thinking, but I was thinking it about it in connection to the message today. It's a, it's a message that's on just a few verses. And um, I was thinking about the preposition in. It's been a while since you had English grammar, but it's just a preposition, I-N. We use it all the time. We are sitting in the sanctuary. Um, we still have breakfast in our stomach as it digests. Uh, we um, enjoyed our class as we met in the basement. So we, we use this word continually, all the time, almost unconsciously. But I was thinking about how significant in is for those who get to be a part of this big event. First of all, we have both the teams. They won the semifinal, and so both teams, uh, the Kansas City and Tampa, get to be in the Super Bowl. And so they're quite thrilled about that. And their coaches and the staff, it's a dream, of course, of theirs to be in the Super Bowl and to be there in the Coliseum. And because of COVID-19 and some of the restrictions, the place won't be completely packed out. So if you get to be one who gets to be in the Coliseum, you're going to consider yourself quite privileged to be in those who get to be there um, because there will only be a few. If, if among all of the hot dog and pretzel and garlic fries and beer booths and pop booths and ice cream booths, all those vendors that surround the Coliseum, they won't need them all. So there will only be a select few who get to be in those privileged vendors who get to make money today at the Coliseum. And on and on we could go uh, with it. Maybe you're a referee, one of hundreds of NFL referees in the union and association of, of referees across the country. And what a privilege you would feel if you got to be in the Super Bowl from among the multitude of referees. And on and on we go that everyone that gets to participate and be a part in it all surely feels Great excitement today and thrill because they get to participate in the actual Super Bowl and have a part in it. The title of today's message is A Day Like No Other. We all have days in our lives that stand out to us. I have days in my life that stand out to me. I remember certain events, the day of each of my four kids and their birth, the day that I stood out by the piers looking out over the river outside of Portland when I mustered up the courage to ask Kathy for her hand in marriage. I remember that day crystal clear. And I remember the day that I said goodbye to my mom. 
and the day I stood at my dad's bedside as he passed. I remember standing at the, at the grave of my younger sister, Lana, when I did her service for her in her passing, dying in her 30s. There are days in my life that are filled with joy and are memorable days like no other, both for how good they were, how happy they were, how beneficial they were, and then other days, how painful they were, how sorrowful they were, and the sense of loss. But today, we're looking at a day like no other. And this day is true of every single born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ without exception. Now, the consciousness of this day may have not been all at once, but it certainly was there, and it grew over time. And if you're still here and breathing among us, it's still growing in your life. A day like no other. Now, before we actually look at the message, I want to just read its context. So if you would like to turn with me to the 14th chapter of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. This is one of those verses that is one of my favorites. And though I've never preached on this particular verse, it has been a favorite of mine for many years because I find that this verse, having only, listen to me now, having only 20 words, is one of the most staggering and stunning statements that our Lord Jesus Christ ever made concerning the believer. It is so far-reaching in its scope and so, uh, so deep you cannot begin to plumb the depths of it and my assumption is, is that as eternity rolls on and we are no longer here on the earth, but we're all together in the glory of God's kingdom as eternity is unfolded to us for all eternity, I don't believe we will fully plumb the depths of these 20 words. And I, I guess maybe, brothers and sisters, as I get a little older in the faith, I gravitate towards these kind of verses because I read them and though they're just a few words, there is so much contained within them. But I want us to start at verse 16 because I want you to see the verse in its context. And so you don't have this up on the screen. If you don't have your Bible with you, shame on you, but you can follow along and listen to me. Verse 16. Jesus speaking to his own on the eve of the cross of Calvary before the trials and before the crucifixion. On that last night with them, he said in verse 16, in order to bring comfort and support and encouragement to them and assurance, he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. 
that is, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose, reveal, or manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now look back up at verse 20. For verse 20 is the focus of these few minutes together, and you can see it up on the screen. Here are the 20 words, 20 stunning words, so pregnant and rich and full of meaning, with three little prepositions repeated three times of the same preposition. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What we want to do as we think about this single verse today, as as far as we get, is just this verse. We want to attempt to ask and answer four questions. The first question is this. What does our Lord Jesus mean by in that day you will know? Well, in its context, he is telling them about this other one who's going to come. This other one, this, this another helper, comforter, the paraclete, he's going to be sent to you. And so that day in its fullness had not yet happened. And we see it in its fullness on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, up until then, the Holy Spirit was with them, but Jesus makes a distinction. He says, he, this one, is with you, but then he will be in you. And there seems to be a distinction. And so that day, to me, in the life of a believer, to get very practical and personal for you and for me, is that 
that day, like no other, is the day that the Holy Spirit in his power and mercy and might acts upon your very soul and spirit and you are born again. And when that new birth occurs, there is with it a knowing that I know that I know that's a little difficult to rationally explain to others. It's a little hard to explain to an unbeliever who does not know our Savior what it means to you that that day occurred in which all of a sudden you knew something that you'd never known before. And what is it? What is it that you came to know? And, and by the way, you know, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 says, or chapter 2, I think it's around verse 10, it says, What eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which has never entered the heart of man, all this God has prepared for those who love him. And the very next verse says, And he has revealed them to us by his Spirit. The Christian life is at its very essence supernatural. There should never be a time that we should expect the world to understand it. Now, they might look at it on the outside and say, well, these people don't cuss and, and they go to church and they stand and waste their Sunday morning singing songs together. What's with all of that? And they seem to behave nice around one another, and sometimes they even sacrificially give of themselves to help and support one another. I guess they find they get a kick out of that, apparently. They can look at us from the outside, but they cannot see what's happened on the inside. And that's what Christ is speaking of here, something that takes place within the believer. It is a day like no other. And the consciousness of this day increases as we grow in him. Secondly, the second question is, well, what does he mean by I am in my Father? On that day of your new birth and, on the, and the Holy Spirit coming to invade and and dwell your very life, live within you, you will know that I am in my Father. In. There's that little word. What does that mean? Well, earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 1, in the prologue, you remember it, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not extinguish it. Some translations say could not comprehend it. Couldn't see it being sightless, 
in their lostness. There came a man sent from, John, uh, from God whose name was John. He came to bear witness of the light. Uh, but he was not that light. He was not himself that light, but came to bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was created by him, and the world did not know him. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many who experienced this day like no other, but to as many as received him to them, and believed on his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Born not of, the, of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. A miracle of regeneration and new birth. And when that occurs, we begin to understand something. Were you to visit the Hanson home? Rick and Laurie's home. Laurie had a beautiful little plaque on the wall with calligraphy written of this particular verse. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully. No man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, who was in the bosom of the Father, in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. <laughs> he has revealed him. You want to look at God and see God and know what God is like? You must look at Jesus because he is the perfect God-man. Which brings us to number three. What does he mean by and you in me? So he's using these prepositions. 20 little verses. On that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me. What does he mean, you in me? The doctrine of the believer's union with Jesus Christ is a prominent doctrine. In fact, you know, of all of the references to believers and descriptions of believers in the New Testament, there is one description that is prominent and all-pervasive and found on almost every page of the New Testament. And it's found in the two simple words, in Christ. The believer is described as one who is in Christ. So Jesus says, on that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me. 164 times 
Paul uses that term in the New Testament. And if you add other terms, in the beloved, in, in the son, in him, you add other terms that are really mean, say, mean the same thing. It's well over 200 times. That's how we are described. Paul actually never calls us Christians. That's something we do. And the very title Christian was really an, originally sort of a slam. It was a slander. So you folks are little Christs. Only it was said derogatorily as a criticism of those who opposed the Christian faith. In Christ Jesus, 164 times. And of course this morning, there's no way we can dig in and go into all of those examples. But if you think theologically and you think of the riches and wealth, you know, it says that in Verse 3 of, of Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, what are those spiritual blessings? We could, just, we could just take an hour right now and say, start naming them, right? In Christ I am forgiven. In Christ I am cleansed. In Christ I am a new creation. In Christ, I am now have received, I've now received the adoption as a son. In Christ, I've been reconciled to God. In Christ, I've been redeemed by the purchase of his shed blood on the cross. In Christ, I am now an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. In Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God. Everything that flows to the believer out of the great and awesome heart of God flows to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, on that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me. And then he says, amazingly, and I am in you. That's the fourth question. What does he mean by I in you? And this is a great, great mystery. And I, this is one of those messages that the best result that can possibly happen is that you get stirred up to go ponder this. One man can't express this. This is something to chew on. You need to be a, a piece, you need to be a, a rib steak. And this verse needs to be the marinade. And you need to just sink yourself down into a bowl of this verse and just soak in it. Oh, Lord, what does this mean? That you, Jesus, are in the Father. The eternal word manifest. And now you say that I am in you. How did that come about? Well, it comes about because of the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus is truly God in, in, in the most exhaustive, comprehensive sense. He is God. But he is 100% truly man. How is it then that holy God, 
can reach down and take a hold of sinful Tony? Take hold of me? How can he do that? Well, because Holy Father holds to Jesus' hand. And Jesus, who is God, can hold on to God's great big eternal hand. And then with the other hand, he reaches down, and in his humanity, he lays hold of me, willing to represent me and to identify with me because he's fully human. And it is the mystery, the mediator between God and man, the incarnation of Christ. That's how I am brought into this union. And that's how he can say, Tony, I am in the Father, and Tony, you are in me. But it's more than that, Tony. I am in you. The believer's union with Christ. I know that this kind of a message is intensely spiritual and in many ways can seem abstract. I get that. That's why we have to marinate in it to really appreciate it. But think of that. This is how he describes you as a believer. That's why you can't possibly be any longer of the world. How many times? Six, seven times in his prayer in John 17, he said, Father, these that you have given me, they are no more of the world than I am. How can that be? because we're now united to him. United forever with him. Those are the four questions. That's the verse. And then, because I'm glancing up at the clock, we actually have about three minutes or so if I actually keep it at an hour, Kath. Pretty amazing, huh? <laughs> Will wonders never cease? A bonus question. Okay, pastor, I belong to him. On that day, that day has happened to me. I've been born of his spirit. And I'm alive in him. And the Holy Spirit is at work within me. And I've come to realize that Christ, in all his greatness and glory, is in the Father. He came from the bosom of the Father and manifested God to the earth and to all of those that would believe, and he's returned to the bosom of the Father. He's at the Father's right hand this moment, representing the saved of the earth, the believers. Okay, I get that. And Jesus also says, and, and Tony, you're in me. And I understand how that can be because of the incarnation. He assumed my nature. He assumed the fallen nature of man without sin, but he assumed our nature, our mortality. And now he says, not only that, Tony, know this, that you are so inextricably united to me that you've been crucified with me. Nevertheless, you live, yet not really you. I live within you. Right? So, all of that's so, and I have a certain consciousness of it. But that consciousness of this reality we're speaking of isn't always 
at a peak. There's an ebb and flow in all of our Christian lives, isn't there? Don't you wish you could live in the radiant consciousness of this verse all the time? But none of us do. But how can I grow in the consciousness of this union with Christ and the communication of himself and of his love? How can that continue to increase as I live my Christian life? Verse 21 gives us the answer. Look at verse 21. What is the evidence? What is the evidence of an ever-deepening experience of what happened on that day? Look at verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now, Jesus is giving us a picture. This isn't a command. He's giving us a description of the one who is united with him and who is growing in that union and that relationship. So he who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. It's interesting. Again, we hear it all the time. The unconditional love of God. And the world loves that adjective for God's love. Because that means I can live any way I want to. I can live in the flesh. I can live like an alley cat. I can live any way I want to because God's unconditional love. You know what? Jesus completely contradicts that in this verse because he says, no, the experience of my Father's love is conditioned on your obedience to me. Look at it. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Look down at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, now it's the Father and the Son, we will come to him and make our abode with him. What is the evidence of a growing experience of union with God? What is it? Obedience. It's that simple. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. This is very simple stuff. But how many believers, and sometimes false believers, think that if I just believe the doctrine and there's no change in my life, I'm still safe and secure? That's a bad way to teach the Word. The Word calls upon us to experience the Lordship of the love of Christ. Lordship of the love of Christ communicated to us as we walk and grow in Him. I love this teaching. 
And I love verses like this that are just loaded. Can you believe how loaded these 20 words really are? Amazing. In Christ Jesus. So, as we finish up, I ask you this morning, just because I don't want to take it for granted, is this your experience? Have you come to, to personally trust and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has this come true in your life that there was a day? On that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. I'm not talking about morality merely. I'm not talking about even crossing your T's and dotting your I's theologically. I'm not talking about being part of an organized church. I'm not talking about any of those things that all are good in and of themselves. I am talking about Jesus Christ in your life. Union with him. In the 13th chapter of 2 Corinthians, verse 5, Paul says, test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Or do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? That's what the gospel's all about, bringing us into union with him. Because all the blessings of salvation are found in union with him. Christ is Christianity. Jesus is the gospel. He's our all in all. And so Paul, even after he had preached and planted churches and suffered great difficulties and hardships and persecution, after some 20, 25 years, he writes to the Philippians. And in chapter 3, he says, I've considered everything to be lost in view of the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then in verse 10, he exclaims, Oh, that I may know him. What's he mean? Well, I want this consciousness of my union with him to keep growing. I'm not going to just assume it. I'm going to be in his word. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm in a fellowship with other believers, and I'm going to be following him. And here's one, and uh, I remember years ago when we first came, a man in this church came to me after about the third Sunday, and uh, he was kind of semi-serious, and he said to me, you know, that message this morning, uh, you were kind of meddling in our lives. And he didn't mean it positively. He meant, I want you, you need to just teach the word, and, but don't get personal, and don't get down into our hearts, and don't, don't pull out the scalpel on anybody. Don't meddle. And I, I took note of that and actually went away saying, thank you, Lord. If you're a preacher and you never meddle, you need to hang it up 
and go sell used cars. So I ask you this. Are you looking beyond yourself to the friends, the co-workers, the acquaintances, the neighbors, and the people that you know that only God, God has put you in the context of those relationships. Are you praying for those people and trying to reach them for Jesus Christ? Are you doing that? Because I'll tell you this, if you're not, you're not following him. I'm not following him. Pastor, why do you say that? Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. We're not all bold witnesses. We're not all door knockers. And Wait a minute. Disciple means learner. And when he called the disciples to himself, what is one of the first things he told them? Because Peter was frightened because Jesus had calmed the storm or rather, he had filled the boat with fish. That's what it was. They had fished all night, and they'd gotten nothing. And Jesus said, push the boat back out. Let's give it another try. And against his wishes, they did it. And Jesus filled the boat to where it was nearly sinking with fish. But Peter got the message. It wasn't about the fish. It was about the identity of the one who just did that. And so we find Peter falling down before Christ and saying, Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And what did Jesus say to him? Take heart, Peter. Follow me. Because I'm going to make you fishers of men. Being a fisher of men and following a Christ is inseparable if we're walking with him, trusting him, and living this life of union with him. His life has to come out in reaching those that we need to reach. And he puts us in sovereignly into those circumstances that we can reach out to people that know, but no other Christian. Maybe you're the only Christian they have contact with. And it's your honor and your privilege I get jealous sometimes because I, I look at some of you, I know where you work and where you move, what circles you move in, and I'm just jealous. I think you have so many opportunities, and I'm happy about it. But are you looking for those? For to follow him is to be a fisher of men. Well, this is the message for this morning. It's five minutes to 12, Kath. Not, not too bad. Do you have a closing song? Yeah? Well, this was such a great Sunday together. And I'm grateful for the class and grateful for the time uh, starting things back up again. So as we finish up, please remember that um, next Sunday, Terry has offered to take some photos. So if, you, if your wife gets on you about dressing up a little, don't. Don't. Don't bristle at that. Just put on a clean shirt, you know. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the words of your Son. These 20 amazing, astonishing words. 
And Lord Jesus, we want to thank you together and especially for that day when we were born again. When we came to faith in you and trusted you and something deep within us changed. Thank you, Lord, that you promised us that on that day we would know. We would know who you are, that you are God manifested in the flesh, that you are in the Father, and that we are in you, and you in us. I pray, Lord, specifically for anyone here. Lord, it doesn't even matter how long they've been attending, how religious they've been, what nice people they may be. Lord, I pray that you would whisper into their heart, you need me. Give yourself to me. Surrender to me. And trust me and me alone for salvation. Draw them, Lord, to yourself so that they can, with assurance, be able to know that the day like no other came to me. Born again. Made alive in Christ. Thank you for your word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.